Good morning. My name is Shelly McCarran, and I get to be involved in the women's ministry here and mops starting up in the fall. And I also get to read the scripture today, John 16, uh, 5 through 15. Uh, it's titled, The Work of the Holy Spirit. But now that I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Good morning, friends. If we have never met, my name is Thomas, and I get to serve on staff at Calvary. I primarily serve on the Erie campus. And then the last, last week and then the next week, there's three of us that are kind of moving around to the campuses to talk about God. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And today, if you haven't caught on yet, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. And I'm so thankful to gather here at Calvary with you. This is an amazing campus filled with beautiful people that love the Lord, that love their neighborhood, that are compassionate and humble. And I just love the leadership that you have out here at, at Calvary. Uh, just think about Dakota just sharing about her heart for Kids Week. On, on our campus, I'm going to serve in Kids Week. I hope that you will. I'm a group leader of fifth graders, and it's going to be a rocking awesome time. And to see some of those kids just come alive to know Jesus Christ, you're not going to want to miss it. And to have other great leaders out here like Zach and Whitney and Justin and so many servant volunteers out here, it is a wonderful church to gather around. But we gather not to necessarily be with each other, but to hear from God. And so we're going to open up the scriptures and see if we can have ears to hear and eyes to see who God truly is. And I want to start by asking you this question. Where do you go for help in your time of need? Like, where do you go in your time of need to receive help? And in part of that question to be answered is probably depending on your life stage. So when you're a kid, and you got some kids in the room, kids, when you are in need of help, where do you go? You just pointed to them, mom and dad, right? Like these people that I'm sitting next to. When you were a kid, you went to mom and dad, whether it was like a physical ailment, like you skinned your knee, you'd run to mom for comfort. Maybe it was something you needed advice for, you would go to mom and dad so they would help you understand life in a broader sense. But then something strange happens in about middle school. Maybe it's high school for you, but you become the smartest human being on the planet. 
And at the same time, your parents become the stupidest people you've ever met. I don't know how this happens. And so you stop going to your parents in your time of need. And who do you probably go to? Your friends, right? You're like, oh man, my friends are also the smartest people I know. And so I start asking them for advice. I go to them when I'm sad, when I'm feeling grief and sorrow, and they bring comfort to me. And then, you know, you find that your friends actually bring a lot of wounds into your life and hurt you. And so then in your adult life, you try to unpack those wounds. And where do you go for help? Your therapist. That's right, your therapist. <laughs> you got a good counsel, like trying to unpack the hardships of life. Maybe you go to you know, your, your brothers or sisters, maybe you go to a pastor, maybe you go to a professional counselor, but even if you broaden that, when you're an adult and you have needs in life, you go to paid professionals. So when you have financial needs, you go to a financial advisor. When you have needs in your marriage conflict, you go to professional counseling or maybe a pastor. But maybe the better way to ask the question is not where do you go, but the question would be to whom do you go? Whenever we need help, we go to a person. We always go to a person. Now, some of us in this room, perhaps, are the most wounded by people, and the only person you trust is yourself. But you're still a person. And we always go to a person when we need help. And one of the reasons that we don't often go to God in our time of need is we don't view Him as a person. We don't view God in his personhood as he's described himself to be father, son, and spirit, especially in this realm of spirit. To us in our mind, spirit doesn't sound like personhood. Barna did a national survey of evangelical Christians, and they asked believing, professing Christians what they believed about the spirit. And their survey found that the majority of Christians in America do not believe the Holy Spirit to be a person. That's detrimental to your faith. That will completely destroy what it means to walk as a Christian. And we're going to see why in a minute. But what they, what they thought of when they thought of the Holy Spirit was perhaps a symbol or a force or some mystery that was unknowable. But that's not how the Bible describes who the Holy Spirit is. First and foremost, it's not an it. He's a he. And so let's go to the text that Shelley read for us in John chapter 16, where the disciples are at a time of need. And the person that they've been looking to is Jesus for the last three years. In all of their needs, they kept turning to the person of Jesus. And now Jesus is departing, and that has brought some fear and anger, perhaps, some sorrow and grief, some parts of their life where they just don't understand. And so normally they would turn to Jesus, but Jesus is leaving, and Jesus gives them this teaching about the Holy Spirit, starting in verse 6. He says, but because I have said these things, I'm leaving, sorrow has filled your heart. As, let's be honest, it would ours as well. If you've been walking with Jesus for a couple of years now, and he says he's leaving, and you can't come with him yet, imagine how you would feel. Maybe even like betrayed. Like, where are you going that I can't go? Why are you leaving me? Maybe you feel abandoned, and he says this, I'm not abandoning you. In fact, it's to your advantage that I go away. Like it's, it's to your benefit that I will leave and I'm going to impart on you 
something even, even better than me walking with you in the flesh. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send it. It says, I will send him. I will send him to you. The other person of the triune God. Now, this is, the, I think we get the father pretty well. It's like we've all had fathers. So our, our image of father has been shaped for better or worse by that. We get Jesus because there's God in the flesh, right? God came and dwelt amongst us. He's a historical figure that history records his actions for us. It's this Holy Spirit piece that, that we struggle with the most. And, and Jesus says, it's a he. He will come to you. And the first thing he calls him is your helper. You cannot do the Christian life apart from the help of the Holy Spirit. In fact, God has not called you to follow Jesus and be formed as a disciple of Jesus on your own strength. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're living as a Christian apart from the Holy Spirit right now, you are not living as a Christian. You're not being a true Christian. It's impossible to be a Christian apart from the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. He is your helper. So I don't know what your need is in life right now, where you're struggling, where you're feeling anxious, confused, filled with grief, but the Holy Spirit is the person to go to. In fact, I would give you this one summary sentence of the Holy Spirit. If someone said, who is the Holy Spirit to you? And you could respond by saying this, he is the personal presence of the all-powerful God. That's who the Holy Spirit is. He is the personal, like with me, presence of the all-powerful God. The God who created the universe is with me. So it's to your advantage that I go, because I've been locked into a geographical location with you 12, 72. But when I leave, it's going to be to your advantage that God is going to send the personal presence of the powerful God for everyone who believes. Verse 8 says this, and when he comes, this is what he's going to do. He will convict the world concerning three things, sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. That's the root of all of our sin. We do not receive Jesus Christ. Because of concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. He's the righteous one. And you will see me no longer concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So three things the work of the Holy Spirit's going to be. To convict the world of its sin, their need for Jesus, his righteousness, and the fact that this world lays judged. We live in a crooked world. Now, whose role is that? Who, who does that work? The Holy Spirit. Who does that work in your children? The Holy Spirit. Who does that work in your spouse? The Holy Spirit. Who does that work with your friends and your neighbors, co-workers, and fellow students? Who, who are you trying to be to those people? You're not the Holy Spirit, but what you are is a Spirit-filled person that they come in contact with, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit. So whoever you have in your mind that you really want to know the Lord and be convicted and convinced of who Christ is, Pray for the Holy Spirit's work in their life. It's the work of the Spirit. No one was nagged to the cross. 
But the Holy Spirit convicts the world of its sin, Christ's righteousness, and its judgment, and draws them to the Lord, as we will see. So that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And then he says in verse 12, I, ha- I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, there's no description of the spirit. Who loves truth in this room? I love truth. If you want to know truth, you have to know the spirit. He's the proclaimer of truth. He has many more things to say, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. The work of the Spirit is to bring glory to Jesus. Part of Jesus' glory is the cross. Remember when Jesus prays to the Father, now it's time to glorify your Son. Part of His glory is the cross. It's when the Spirit emphasizes the work of the cross, He brings glory to Jesus Christ. His, His role is to glorify, magnify, make much of Jesus, for He'll take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, He says. Therefore, I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. And what you're going to see in all these texts, or most of these texts, is a Trinitarian theology, the Father and the Son and the Spirit working together in our salvation. And then he concludes, he will take what is mine, declare it to you, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it, make it known, bring to remembrance the things that I have already taught you. Now, the disciples still don't get it which I fully understand because I wouldn't get it either. It's quite the mystery. But after his resurrection, he tells his disciples, you're going to be witnesses to all the things that you've seen in my death, in my life, in my resurrection. Go tell the world. But before you leave Jerusalem to do it, wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit, the one I promised you. Don't try to be a Christian. Don't try to be a witness. Don't try to be a minister of the gospel apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. So hang tight in Jerusalem. And and this is what we find in the book of Acts. Acts is a historical account of the early church. And so Acts chapter 1, we have Jesus 40 days after the resurrection, who's, who's seen 500 witnesses who have seen him at a time. Many people have seen Jesus Christ alive, and he's been teaching them all these things for the last month. And verse 4 says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. This is back to John 16. Wait for what I told you was coming from the Father. You, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The word baptized means immersed identified with, united to. Like, hang out here in Jerusalem, for you cannot go be my witnesses apart from the gift that I'm going to give you, that you would be immersed into, that you'd be united with, that you'd be identified by the Holy Spirit. So not many days from then are they praying, and the Holy Spirit is praying poured out on this church, this gathering. And it looks like tongues of fire on all of their heads. There's the presence of God with each individual and miraculous things are happening. And the crowds are watching this and they start talking about what what they think is happening. They say, man, this, this group of people, they're drunk. They're out of their mind. And Peter gets up and, and quiets the crowd down and says, no, you don't understand what's happening. What's happening is what was promised by the prophets, and he highlights the prophecy of Joel, that in the end of the age, 
associated with the coming of the Messiah, God would pour out His Spirit on all men and women, young and old, and that all would know Him, that He would put His Spirit, His presence in them. That's what is happening. And then He gives a sermon. This is the first sermon ever preached. And Peter highlights three things. And notice how it's the work of the Holy Spirit preaching through Peter. Remember what the Holy Spirit was going to do? Convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And look at what Peter's sermon is all about. Chapter 2, verse 22. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that, de- that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. He's calling out their sin. You did not believe in Jesus. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through Peter. The first thing, conviction of Jesus, their sin. Then verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. What was the second thing the Holy Spirit was going to convict them about? It was the righteousness of God because Jesus goes to the righteous place of God, the right hand of the Father. The very next thing he talks about is the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And then again you see the Father and the Spirit and the Son working together. And verse 40, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation concerning the judgment on this world. And so what you see operationally immediately in Peter, as he is baptized in the spirit, is the spirit beginning to convict the world of its sin, righteousness, and judgment in the very first sermon. And their response is a great response. Their response is a response that I would hope everyone would have. What do we do? We're in sin. We missed Jesus. He's exalted. I want to be saved from this crooked generation. What do we do? How do you get the Holy Spirit? That's a great question. How do you receive the person of the Spirit? Well, look at verse 38 in his message. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How do you receive the Spirit? You first receive the Son. By believing in the Son of God, you are given the Spirit of God. And to receive the Son is simply to repent, to say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I turn away from the way I've been living And I turn towards you and ask you to be the Lord of my life. You get to call the shots now and I'll follow you. And as you receive the Son of God, you also receive the Spirit of God, the helper, the the teacher of all truth, the one that energizes you and leads you and forms us into the image of His Son. This is how much God loves you. This is a work of God, being God. This is not a symbol of God or simply a force of God. This is the work of God in our life. There are many times that Peter really gets explicit with this to teach the early church. 
Because in their mind, it, it wasn't triune Father, Son, and Spirit, even though you can see it through the whole Old Testament. There's one interaction in the early church. There's always good church stories when you're beginning a church. This one was with a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And all of these people are, are, are taking possessions that they have or, or land that they own, and they're selling it and giving those proceeds to the church community to care for widows and orphans and people in their time of need so that no one had any need within the church. Well, Ananias and Sapphira had a piece of property that was theirs, and they chose to sell it for whatever the price was. And they must have gotten a large sum because after receiving the, good, the, the, the funds, they think it's a good idea to hold back some and give some to the church while telling the church, this was the fault, while telling the church this was the whole sum of money the property was sold for. It wasn't a sin to hold some money back. That wasn't the problem. The problem they ran into was they lied about it. And here's what Peter says. This is Acts chapter 5. Here's a good story. If you remember one thing from Father's Day, don't lie like Ananias and Sapphira. Chapter 5, verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did that remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to who? God. But look at, look at verse 3. Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? You see the connection? You lied to God. You didn't lie to a force or a symbol. You lied to the person of God when you did this. For the Holy Spirit is God. Tri, the, the triune Godhead is the fullness of our salvation. I know many times we just reserve it to Jesus, right? Like, Jesus saved me. But it's truly the work of Father, Son, and Spirit Paul puts this so well when he writes to one of his disciples by the name of Titus. Titus chapter 3, verse 4. Just listen to this. This is, this is a story of your salvation with the work of God in your favor. He says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God. I love that it just starts. Your salvation, where did your salvation start? Is in the goodness and loving kindness of God towards you. It wasn't that you had a heavenly father that was like, oh man. Oh, what are we going to do with these people? I don't know. I guess we have to save them. No, it's in His goodness and in His loving kindness, His affection towards you that He sends His Son. So when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior appeared, Jesus, He sent His Son. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, so not because of our own merit, not because of how great you are, but because of His mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. How'd you get saved? By the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through, how'd the Holy Spirit come to you? Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. How'd you get saved? Was that the Father in His kindness and goodness sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to forgive you, and then you've been renewed by the work of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of God at work in your life. That's how the Godhead is working in the personhood of the Holy Spirit. 
And then there's just so many things the New Testament talks about of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. I don't have time for all of this, but let's just build a quick frame of reference of what is the Holy Spirit doing in your life? Well, let's, let's first start in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about how we are sealed. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When were you sealed with the Holy Spirit? The moment you believed in Jesus Christ, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit has sealed you as a down payment, a guarantee that you're going to make it. Like, what's your confidence that your faith that sometimes feels real feeble? Like, Jesus, is this real? Are you really God? I really messed up. Can you forgive me again? What's your guarantee that you're going to make it to heaven and inherit eternal life in Jesus? Is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has sealed you as a down payment of what is to come. So first and foremost, you're sealed. 1 Corinthians, this is Paul writing to a church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? He takes up residence within you. Whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. What you do with your body matters because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, the temples in Israel's history was first and foremost the tabernacle, a portable temple in which God's glory dwelt amongst the people during the days of Moses and David. Then became a permanent structure in the times of Solomon in which God's glory dwelt. And what happens at a temple? What do you do at a temple? You worship. And so where's the temple of God today? In his people. What is this body that we have now? Is the worship center of God. How's the worship going in the temple? Like, like how have your eyes worshiped this week? What have we looked at on our screens, phones, and computers? Where have our hands, what have our hands done? Where have our feet taken us? What have we given our minds to? How's the worship of the temple going in your life? There's a purity to our life that we should strive after. There's not a perfection that you're going to experience until life with Christ. But there's a sense of, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and what I look at, and what I meditate on, and what I do with my hands, and where I go with my feet matters. Because it's a, it's a, it's a matter of worship. Not only does He seal you and then indwell you, but then He's so good. This is so good because God is so good. He gifts you. Some of us think like He only gifts the really good Christians, right? Like super Christians get gifts. No, He gifts everyone. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 12, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them in everyone. Everyone has this. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
So you've been gifted by God uniquely, shaped by God for the building up of the body, for the common good, to bless one another. I need you in my life. I need you to exercise your God-given gifts for my good. And I hope that you are blessed when I exercise my God-given gifts for your good. And it's not for pride. It's not for ascension. It's for service. And so each one of us has been gifted by God to serve one another. Paul points out, this is Romans chapter 8, a beautiful chapter on the work of the Holy Spirit, about that we are not only indwelled by the Spirit, that we live in the Spirit, that it really is seamless, the Spirit in us and us in the Spirit. You, however, he says, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. But how do you receive the Spirit? Remember? Repent and believe. Receive the Son that you be given the Spirit of God. And here in this text is a, is a beautiful illustration that the Spirit is within the Son and the Father. You see it? In the Spirit the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. Paul's trying to draw out that this is one God, one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. He goes on in Romans 8, 13, he says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The Spirit is life. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons or daughters, children of God. So what does the Spirit also do? It leads you. It guides you. It brings to remembrance the things that Jesus taught us. This happens to me a hundred times a day. Like I'll be in an argument with my wife and she'll be telling me all the ways that I messed up and she's absolutely right, but I'm just waiting to explode and, and, and share with her why I think I'm justified in my actions. And right when I'm ready just to explode, I just, I just hear the Holy Spirit. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For the anger of a man does not bring about, does not produce the righteousness of God. You're going to blow up, Thomas? Or are you going to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit? Turn that off. You're pure and holy. Don't look at that. Zip it. That's not humble talk. There's a thousand times a day it feels like that the Holy Spirit reminds me of the truth of what Jesus taught us and invites me, follow. Like, we're going this way. Come on, Thomas, follow my leading. And you have a choice at that moment. Do I stay in step with the Spirit and follow Him? Or do I do my own thing in the flesh? Put to dead the, 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 the deeds of the flesh and live free alive. That's what it is. Life, real life in the Spirit. Now, not only that, not only is it so good that He seals us, that He indwells us, that He gifts us, that He leads us, and He guides us. Get this. This is the end of Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us. Remember, He's the helper. He helps us in our weakness. He's the one we go to when we need help. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You ever been in a place in your life where you just go, man, I know I have a need, and I need to get out of this place. I have no idea where to go. I don't even know what the next step is. 
what a mess I've made. The Holy Spirit, your advocate, is praying for you to the Father with needs that just appears like groans. When I, when I read this verse, I often think of, I got four kids, and from time to time, they like to come into my room at 2 a.m. with groans. And, and my kids have unlimited access to me at 2 a.m. You do not, right? And I don't have access to you at 2 a.m., but my kids do. They're my children. And they come in, and they just, go, they just sit in the corner like, ah, like, what's wrong, buddy? What do you need? I don't feel good. And all they need to do was just show up in my room. And the Holy Spirit is like that. Like he sees your predicament, and he's like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to go groan to the Father for you about your needs because you have unlimited access to the creator of the universe. And the Holy Spirit says, I see them in their need. They don't even know what to pray for. They just know they need help, and this is where you go for help. And so he intercedes for us. He prays for us. This is why John Stott, the English Anglican pastor, would simply say this. It would be impossible to be a Christian let alone to live and grow as a Christian without the ministry and the, of the gracious Spirit of God. You cannot do the Christian life apart from being filled, sealed, guided, gifted, empowered by the Spirit of God. For He takes up residence in you and forms in us and shapes in us the life of Jesus Christ. It's His work, and we surrender to it. That's our, that's our participation, is we would surrender to it. This is why we at Calvary would, would make this affirmation of faith. This comes from our statement of faith about the Holy Spirit. See if you can take some of the texts we've looked at and see why we would say this. We believe that the Holy Spirit in all that he does, glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of its guilt. He regenerates sinners, and in him they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs into the family of God. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. That's what we would believe the Scriptures teach about who the Holy Spirit is and His work in our life. And like I just said, it's, it's our participation to surrender to it. It's not as though He just does these things to us and, and we're just agents of His work, but we participate with Him. And one of the per people I look at in the Scriptures and how they participate with the work of the Holy Spirit to bring about salvation is this amazing woman named Mary. Mary was the mother of Jesus, if you remember. And Mary finds out that she's going to be pregnant with the Messiah. And Mary has some questions, as you would too. And she simply says, how can this be? For I'm a virgin. I'm betrothed to Joseph, but, but we have not had union yet. And she's told this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. It's going to come into your life. And the power of God is going to overshadow you. Therefore, this child will be called holy, the Son of God. 
And do you remember what Mary's response was? I am your servant. Let it be done to me according to your word. That was it. And what she prayed at that moment was a, was a prayer of consent. And I think that's really our practice as Christians with the Holy Spirit. His work in our life is daily consent. It's saying, I, I want your work in my life. I'm listening to your voice, and I'm following you. Would you give me the ability to do the things that you're calling me to do? And so I want to teach you, as we, as we close, a prayer of consent that perhaps you'd be willing to incorporate in your life with Jesus. It goes like this. Heavenly Father, I consent to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life today so that you would form in me the death and resurrection of my Lord Jesus Christ. It's like, so Heavenly Father, Father, I consent, I, I, I surrender, I yield, let it be done to me. I consent to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And whatever's going on in my life, the hardships, the grief, the confusion, I'm in it. What are you wanting to form in me, shape in me? Would you form and shape in me the death and resurrection of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And so remember when we began, said, where, where do you go for help in your time of need? I don't know what your need is today, but I want to invite you to come to the person, Holy Spirit, that He would be your helper, your advocate, the one who would be with you in your time of need. So would you bow your hearts with me? Close your eyes and and let's take the need that you have right now. I don't know what it is. If you're like me, I'm, I'm sure it's top of mind for you this morning. And that you would take that need and bring it to the Lord with this prayer of consent. And you can say this quietly in your heart if you'd like. Maybe you open your hands to receive a gift. You just simply say, Heavenly Father, I consent to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life today to form in me the death and resurrection of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, that's my prayer for every woman and every man in this room. That they would be filled with your Holy Spirit, the personal presence of the all-powerful God, to work and move in them for your good pleasure, to form in them the likeness of Jesus Christ. I pray that your voice would be the loudest voice this week in their life, and that you would speak into their marriages, that you'd speak into their relationships, that you'd speak into their singleness, that you would speak into their work, and that they would hear you leading them somewhere, and then give them the ability beyond their own strength, to follow. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.